Today's program was brought to you by craftbeer.com, dedicated to small and independent U.S. craft brewers. For more information, visit craftbeer.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Good evening and welcome to Fun Men About, about it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So Rachel is unfortunately not with us tonight because she had a little bit of dental work today and she is uh, still recovering and not so up to talking a great quantity. She got a decent <laughs> amount of teeth pulled. Here's a little known fact. I've had 26 teeth pulled in my lifetime. Did you know that, Mary? No. It's kind of crazy, right? So the reason why, and this is, I know we're totally off topic. Welcome to Foment About It. Listen to, <laughs> would you like to hear about my teeth? Let me tell you about my teeth. It was kind of a weird thing. I got, my baby teeth grew in faster than my, sorry, my, 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 my adult, adult teeth, teeth. Were, were growing in faster than my baby teeth would get out of the way. And so if, if we had let those baby teeth all stay in, uh, you know, my teeth would, would have come in all, all messed up and I'd been all googly. So uh, we had to pull basically all of my baby teeth and then my wisdom teeth. So, so that can be the next trivia question on Chris Kuzmay. <laughs> That's right. Trivia night. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> anyway, let's, a couple, let's get through a couple announcements about what's going on in the country and, and locally. Uh, there are some things coming up. This upcoming weekend, we are hosting the first round of the National Home Brewers Competition, and we're doing it at Kings County Brewers Collective. I've mentioned on the past couple shows, but we do need your help. If you are an AHA, BJCP sanctioned judge, we, would, uh, we can use your help with your palate. Uh, we could use your palate. Uh, if you are local and you want to know how these things run, we can use your help as a steward and help get the judges kind of dealt. And if you want to see these competitions, it's kind of insane. We got 800 uh, entries into the New York location, so we have a lot of work to do both Friday night and Saturday during the day. You can go to brewingcompetition.com to sign up and register to judge, and you'll get points, uh, judging points, uh, and to steward, and you will get experience points uh, if you register to steward. And this, these experience points, if you don't have a BJCP ID number, if you are interested in eventually getting a BJCP ID number and being a judge, the, the points that you earn at this will uh, carry over once you actually get, uh, get an ID. And we especially need stewards. Especially need stewards so right now. So you need right. no, no um, experience whatsoever. This will be a good opportunity to not only see how a homebrew competition works, but you'll get to taste some homebrews, both good and bad, and everything in between. That's right. And this is the first round. So the second round, uh, basically every entry that goes to this and get and, uh, and places, they get to go to the National Homebrewers Competition uh, to the final round. Um, but we're all welcome to join and hang out for what happens at that final round. It is the National Homebrewers Conference, and it is happening on June 15th, uh, happening June 15th to June 17th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And... Uh, uh, you can go to homebrewcon.org to sign up, register, and go. And registration that. is open for that. It is open now. for that right now. Yep, homebrewcon.org. Locally, things that are happening. Uh, there is a new fermentation meetup 
that is happening. Uh, there's actually a couple now in in town, which is pretty fun. Uh, one of them at our at our at our host's place. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, this place is going to happen at Brooklyn Kitchen on the last Wednesdays of the month. Every fourth Wednesday of the month, Daily Crafting and Harry Rosenblum are starting at Brooklyn Kitchen. Uh, first one's going to be March 22nd, 6:30 p.m. Uh, at Brooklyn Kitchen. The last Wednesday of the month. Or, of this month. I just realized we forgot another major event, Savor, which is an American craft beer and food experience in Washington, D.C., June 2nd and 3rd. And I believe that tickets... All right, member presale is coming up Tuesday, March 21st, so that's tomorrow. These tickets always go pretty fast. And then public sale. So you are, if you're a member, I believe, of the American Home Brewers Association or the Brewers Association, you'll be able to buy your tickets to uh, tomorrow. And then if not... You can buy them on Wednesday, and you're limited to four tickets per night per order. And it's usually like a weird mountain time because that's where they're low. That's, that's where the uh, HA Brewers Association. So it's usually two o'clock p.m. here. <laughs> mountain time. Uh, what's not a mountain time? East Coast. Uh, East Coast. Su- Sunday or no Saturday, April eighth. The Three's Brewing Saison Day. It's the uh, third or fourth annual Saison Day put on by Allagash. A couple home brewers that uh, showcase some saisons, but they'll also have a bunch of our favorite saisons from around the world, around the country. And also, so this is put on by Allagash Brewing, and they're actually doing Saison Days on a, the same day around the country. So. I think you can find it online, or there's a bunch of them on Facebook. So Go to Allagash. check out, com, check out yep. the event page, and exactly. find that out. Right after that, or at the end of April, uh, Pride of Brooklyn, April 29th, 1 p.m. at Littlefield. It is their fourth, I think, little uh, Pride of Brooklyn as well, I think, in that area. Anyway, you can find tickets for that, Ticket Fly. That's just kind of getting getting organized now and, and rolling. Hey, I just realized Trolley Tour. Oh, yeah. I'm hosting another trolley tour on April 19th, and this time we're going, we're calling it Nano Nano. Let's get small. So basically, we're going to four different locations, uh, hitting small breweries in New York City. Uh, you can go to Kelso Beer uh, or Kelso of Brooklyn. I actually don't know how to find this, this info. There'll be a Facebook page, whatever, but we're it's hopping all, on it's a trolley. It's on Eventbrite. Eventbrite's actually <laughs> pretty easy to navigate. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're hitting Big Alice. Trans- we're starting to transmit. We're going to Big Alice, going to Keg and Lantern, and then... Uh, finishing off an industry city for the our two newest and smallest breweries in New York City, Wartega and Lineup Brewing Company. They're both sharing a one-barrel system that actually used to belong to Barrier Brewing Company, uh, and they're in the same space as our friend uh, Arcane Brewing Company. And they both just opened, so that's that'll be like you will be one of the first people to, to get there. Yep, it'll be fun. Anyway, that's uh, April eighteenth. Um, but speaking of uh, fermentation meetups and things of the like, there's a really great thing that happens every Sunday. We'll get into the details of that as we go on. But I'd like to introduce our guest today from you might remember from episode thirty nine, Raphael Lyon of Enlightenment Wines. Hello, hey. <laughs> Hello. welcome uh, back. <laughs> should um, yeah, I've got a. I've got an event thing tomorrow. Should I put it yeah, now? Yeah, plug it. Yeah. Oh, okay, so uh, there's... We get at least 10 listeners that listen live, so they might oh. hear this in time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> tomorrow is uh, I'm going to uh, some kind of homebrewers. New York get-together. City homebrewers. Yes, yes, That's right. I'm the guest. Uh, I'll be talking about mead. Yeah. And um, for the brewers who got their foot in the mead door, that's right. Help them out with that. Um, that's going to be tomorrow at um, Burp Castle. Mm-hmm. And on the, I believe it's the 29th, let me check real quick, I'm teaching an introductory mead class at uh, Bitter and Esters. Oh, cool. Oh, awesome. Um, And that's a great spot. It's very limited space, so if there's any space, it's on the 30th, that's a Thursday. 
And then um, I've got a follow-up to that in the uh, later in the month, in April. Sunday, April 9th? Yeah, Sunday, April 9th. So if you really want to get the full, full um, you know, Mead, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Mead with Raphael Mead tour, yeah, the film, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You can you can like hide in the bushes and follow me around for the next two weeks. Um, that's good. And then uh, we'll talk about Sunday school a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. Later, so let's, but yeah. let's recap real quick. Uh, yeah. Last time you were on the show, uh, mm-hmm. you did not have a location in town. Uh, Raphael, you, you were a DJ and a music, uh, you're a musician in a, past, in a past life. Got into doing and making mead traditionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, the, the path of enlightenment right. is what we call that episode. So, right. oh, so let's good. recap okay, the so path let's of see, enlightenment. Yeah, for let's you. see what happens, what happens <laughs> after that. Uh, so at that time, you were still making most of your meads upstate, correct? Right. In small batches, right, and you were mostly selling through. I think, well, you you know, because you were, you had some at local bars, mm-hmm. and then we were part of the bottle. Sh- your uh, CSA, yeah, CSA, CSA. Right. community supported alcohol. Yes, and you were you were doing five gallon batches at at the time, but a lot of them, like, right? Exactly. I mean, I think uh, so. I think it basically moved from like 2009 when I started. I would just I was making wine in lots and lots of carboys, doing these parallels, um, and then. You know that kind of uh, that works actually um, in in a lot of ways. If you do the cost per, per gallon for a container, glass carboys are actually really quite cheap. They're, they're much cheaper than stainless. They're just uh, you just end up spending a lot more labor washing them. Right. Um, but I'm a natural winery person, so I'm not like sterilizing things anyway. So it's not not that bad. Um, but now it's what 2017, so it's been eight years. Yeah, right. So, um, doing almost all oak barrel fermentation. Um, we have a tasting room now in uh, Bushwick, which is really fantastic, and an on-site winery. So, I'm not splitting the fermentation space. I'm actually, what's actually happening is I'm actually doing all the new fermentation in New York. Until we run out of space, and then I'll go back up and start using the space upstate. For, Do you still have the space upstate? I still have the space upstate. Everything that we're drinking at the uh, tasting room is uh, tasting room is called Honey's, by the way. Um, Where is it? It is off the Jefferson L stop. Uh, we opened up in June, so we've been there about, you know, coming on a year. It's going to show up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's tucked a little bit away if you're a fan of Bunker uh, the restaurant they opened up right next to us, so. But it's really easy to get to from the Jefferson. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's just a few blocks away. You just have to cross yeah. Flushing, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit, you know. It's like Frogger. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's nice. You know, there is a crosswalk. <laughs> Don't worry, people. <laughs> you know, we we have a nice uh, relationship with uh, KCBC, who's just up the street. Mm-hmm. I yep. literally, literally this morning, I dropped off a barrel that I had used to make a maple wine. So it's like a mead, but made with maple syrup. That we'd left in a Tuttletown whiskey barrel for three years is really very popular really amazing stuff um it was on the new york magazine gift guide that was its kind of claim to fame so nice. uh but you know we don't have a lot of it and uh, it wasn't a very big barrel so when the barrel got emptied i was like what am i gonna do with this thing it's just drying up so you know i brought it over kcbc they're gonna put some beer in it and mm-hmm. uh, you know we'll see what that tastes like probably pretty good ale. it's like a so they do a if you heard of the cast mate series that jameson has been, has been doing over a couple of years but basically jameson will do their there's a they'll, they'll send it to a brewery mm-hmm. to brew beer and then they'll take it back and, and age their whiskey in it again and they're kind of sharing right this, kind of going back and forth with kind of things yeah and, and yeah people do that with maple syrup too yeah. um so you know also there's a whole um ecosystem for wine barrels once you 
once you get your head around how they work and fermenting in them, and actually, I would say... So you're doing, like, primary fermentation? Uh, you know, most depending on what it is. But, okay. yeah, like, our, one of our uh, main products is, is called the, the Knot, and it's uh, mm-hmm. wild fermented, so this is wild yeast, and, um, and increasingly I realize um, some... Um, Lactic bacteria, probably in the beginning, uh, and then that's fermented on the leaves in barrel, in, in basically it's just the leaves in there. Um, and I may rack it once uh, into another barrel. Would you yeah, yeah, it'll it? end up in another barrel. Okay. It just sits in the barrel till it's done, uh, and then that will be, um, uh, you know, where it ages also. So, I think for people who are used to beer, beer world, you know, it's uh, it's different with wine because it's just slower. It's much slower. Mm-hmm. It's more alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know, so it's more efficient in, in terms of space, um, but it's slower. And, and a lot of the uh, fermentation kinetics that brewers care about, you know, turning the beer over fast, getting this thing done in two weeks and all that kind of stuff, um, the, those rules apply very differently to what I do. So, you know, I often expect things to be in there for a year. Occasionally you can get them out earlier, but they, it's... It's not just the fermentation in terms of what the yeast are doing, but there's all this. There's very complex chemical activity that's happening afterwards, right? And uh, the barrels uh, really affect that. It's not just the flavor profile, like the wood, um, but because the barrels I use are, are more or less neutralized, they've been used a lot. Uh, it's it's all it's the shape of the barrel, you know. Uh, actually, like surface changes, area and yeah, it changes the way the circul- stuff circulates. Mm-hmm. Um, Convection, yeah. So. Microoxygenation, that's that's cool. I don't do everything in wood, but um, we do a lot of wood. So that's my minimum batch now. You pretty much is like I'll be doing maybe a one barrel. But do you uh, ever use virgin wood for your? Um, I haven't. Uh, it's well by virgin meaning like a new barrel a new that barrel, was yeah. recently toasted. Okay. Right? Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't. They, I don't even think they come out not toasted. But right. I wouldn't. I think it's. Um, I think it would be brutal. Yeah, it's too it much. Be a lot of, lot of. Yeah, it's a lot. Tannins. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, my favorite barrels are the ones that have been used for red wine for like four or five years. Yeah, and then uh, you get a nice like bit of the like kind of funk from the wine. You do pull out these kind of nice wood flavors, but it's not going to get hit with tannin too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's making meat is a lot like making chardonnay or something. It's like a delicate process. So if you if you try and rush it or beat it up or push it up against something really strong, it um, it doesn't end up balanced. Yeah. What uh, what size? What what processes changed uh, in your new space versus uh, when you? Um, you know, I would be totally happy have been like the smallest winemaker in New York, working out of like a dark basement of a barn. If it had a floor drain, right? <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and and so. Everything I've done in the last 10 years, like to grow the company, to bring in partners, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, we've got 14 investors. We just met with them yesterday. You know, it was our annual meeting. I've got, uh, you know, this giant space in Bushwick. Like all, all of it was to scale up to the point where I could afford a floor drain. Right. So now I have a floor drain. <laughs> it's great. Um, and it turns out once you have a floor drain, then the next thing you buy is a rubber boots. Right. Um, and then you can, like, make giant messes and clean them up really fast. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what other products have you added, different different types of wine since sure. you expanded or changed? Well, you know, any, have you tweaked any of the ones we're or const- adapted, I guess? Yeah, we're constantly improving the products. I mean, um, you know, I've been making dandelion wine for four or five years with foraged flowers. It's really labor-intensive. 
uh, and we're still we're still tweaking that. Um, doing a lot of sparkling stuff. Uh, you know, now that we have the tasting room, right? There's two things going on. One, I've brought in a partner, Arlie Marks, who is a cocktail guy. He used to do the cocktails for Mission Chinese and Dimes, and I just worked on another hotel. So he runs the tasting room, but we have this really exciting cocktail program that sometimes uses mead. I mean, just to be clear, so Honey's is uh, the tasting room for Enlightenment Wines. We have mead there that we make, but we also have beer and wine, and it's a pretty nicely small curated menu of like pretty nice stuff that we can kind of contextualize what we're doing in. And it's a super cool spot, too. Oh, yeah, and very super <laughs> cool. Um, and it's chill. It's nice there. You know, there's no TVs, and music's good. Um, and it's out of the way. It's nice. You can kind of disappear. So uh, one thing is, you know, working with Arlie. Um, so, you know, we can he can kind of develop some of these into cocktails. Mead's a great uh, place to make cocktails from because you have this incredible palette to draw from. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, we are also, you know, we have the ability to put most of the stuff that we're doing, if, you know, I can put it in a keg from the back, push it in the front, no bottling, no transportation costs, no, no greenhouse-like impact at all. You know, it's just like you make it, they drink it. Mm-hmm. And that's really wonderful because um, it's, it's, it always feels dumb to me to, like, put things in glass bottles and then empty them and then throw the glass bottles away. Right. Um, so that's good. But then also, for example, we can serve stuff there that doesn't really survive any kind of transportation, right? Yeah. And so that's really special. Um, you know, there's not a lot of things like that, but one thing is, uh, you know, we felt like it was one of the things that was missing in New York was a really advanced non-alcoholic menu, right? So because, um, you know, we have a lot of friends who don't drink, uh, and especially in the food and restaurant world, you know, there's just a big spot for people who, like, don't want to get drunk, but they want to hang out with their friends at bars. So um, that was the impetus for one or two really nice cocktails that we do there that are really special that are based on uh, vinegars that we make out of the mead. Um, so we have these really excellent sort of contemporary shrubs. And then uh, I've been making this kind of 16th century kvass, which is like a fantasy. Yeah. You know, it's like a fantasy of what people might have drank back in Russia in the 1600s, which, of course, we can't really know. But I, I would know that it's probably, uh, you know, they're not using carbonation, that's for sure. So, uh, and, and a kvass is uh, made in lots of different ways, but, you know, they can make it out of beets, or you can make it out of bread. Classically, it's made out of, um, you know, day-old bread that's water's added to, and then it's got a lactic culture, and then that's uh, sort of allowed to ferment for a few days, and then you'll put a little bit of honey in it maybe to sweeten it before you drink it. So it's alive. I mean, it's fizzy because it's alive, right? Right. So uh, we've been making that. It's, and I brought some here if you guys want to try yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I knew, I knew you'd Why, yeah. You have piqued my interest um, and left, left me wanting for more. So I just, I just pulled that off the draft line, which is nice. And I should mention that by saying that he brought us some. Yes, yeah, so you pulled it off the draft line. It's in like a takeout soup container. Yeah. And we're all drinking <laughs> from the same container. Yeah. Which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's not like... This is not something that it's not sterile. Like it's, oh my god, that's really good. Yeah, it's it's it makes you feel indestructible. It's it's a probiotic. It's got an incredible amount of like somehow like protein. You know, when you pour it or shake it, you'll see it has this nice, really big foam head. That's really been the issue as to getting getting it to pour off the draft line. But it's, I mean, if you were sick, that has cured you. And if I had germs, it probably killed the germs. You know, it's like sure, it's, it's, it's very acidic. Yeah, um, but. It's robust, so it's, you know, it's, I don't know, I, I could drink that all day. 
It's so you did that with day old bread. Yeah, day old bread. But you know, I'm making fifty gallons of it. So, sure. um, and then we just we just started experimenting with um, giving a few kegs out to some restaurants. So mm-hmm. Meta, which is that new uh, restaurant in. Uh, oh yeah, I'm really I'm very dumb today. I don't remember. Where um, is, but. Brooklyn North. I don't have it. Yeah, yeah. South I, of the Navy. I, I it yeah, it's down, okay. it's down over there. Oh, like Fort Green. Fort Green, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a great open fire place, and we work with uh, one of the chefs there, uh, Negro, who's done some pop-ups with us. Cool. And, uh, yeah, so he doesn't drink, and so he loved this, and it was nice to have something. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe it, it'll become a something we actually do as a product line. But for now, it's just, um, you know, it's a having the bar has allowed us to do R&D, like, turnover really fast. Yeah, yeah okay. which is great. Cool. We're going to take a really quick break, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to come back, and I'd like to talk about some of your lab procedures over there yeah, and how okay. that has changed. And also years. get to Sunday school. Oh, okay, yeah, and yeah, Sunday okay. school. Great. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Foment about it. Do you love craft beer? The diversity of styles and flavors? The stories of small brewery businesses and the communities behind today's craft beer movement? If so, you'll love craftbeer.com, published by the Brewers Association. Whether you tasted your first craft beer 30 years ago or just caught the bug last week, craftbeer.com is the number one destination for beer education, news, and recipes. Looking for a local brewery? Use the internet's most robust brewery finder to discover your new favorite place. Want to get geeky about your favorite beer style or find the perfect pairing for dinner? Craftbeer.com is the leading authority and can help. Celebrate the best of American beer. Visit craftbeer.com today. Welcome back to episode 196, 97? About it. Hey, welcome back to Fermat About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Okay. This is, uh, we are celebrating Enlightenment Wines with Raphael Lyon, uh, proprietor, founder, uh, winemaker. Mazer. 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 Yeah, I'm doing it. Yes, Mazer. Yeah. Um, you have gone from, your processes have changed once you have a, have a, have a location here in Bushwick uh, at 99 Scott. Is that the official address? Uh, 93 Scott. Is, 93 uh, Scott. Gets you there a little easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Off the Jefferson stop, uh, and your on, on-premise tasting room is called Honey's, mm-hmm. and you do some classes there on Sundays. Tell us about this right. Sunday series going on. So I think one of the, you know, one of the things about being the first meadery in New York, and, you know, we're, we get a lot of press, and we're very visible. We're not mm-hmm. like... We don't do the volume of a lot of these, like, more sort of industrial commercial meteries or, like, turning out product really fast. But we're working really hard to try and make, in our opinion, like, the equivalent of the best mead that can be made. And then that means, like, a really high standard that you're looking at, like, the history of natural wine and, and very, very uh, people with very, you know, very very advanced palates, right? So it's very slow and, and um, you know, you have to figure out where you're going to draw from, right? Like, how do you do that? You know, there's a limit to what you can do just by experimenting and working on it on your own. On the other hand, the literature around meat is, is really, um, it's unba- it's not balanced because mm-hmm. meat is such an old process, right? That most of the people who made mead 
like didn't even have writing necessarily, right? So, you know, I was just uh, reading this paper about these Mayans who were making mead and they were had the honey. It's amazing they they were they were taking their bees and putting them next to particular flowers. In this case, it's like morning glory flowers, hallucinogenic flowers, to collect the back pop- in the day when they were hallucinogenic before they bred it out. Right. I mean, this is I mean, this is Mayans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, but not, that's a side note. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like the real, you know, real Mayans. Yeah. And although there's still Mayans, actually, yeah, there yeah. are still Mayans. But um, I mean, morning glory. That was the hallucinogenic right. property. So if you buy morning glory seeds and plant right. them, they are not hallucinogenic because right. they were it was bred out. Right. Anyway. Right. So you got to get the right ones. But anyway, yeah. you know, so this is how they were making their mead, right? And then they were going to get this. They get this honey from these bees that were they would collect it by all these plants, and then they would brew. You know, so this is a really complex process that involves uh, plants and pollen and, and herbs and. And one of the things that's been really important to me is that, like, if we're going to be the best mead makers, we want to try and make the highest, like, quality, most interesting thing, we really have to embrace, like, the full spectrum of mead making. And and I think that's really important because if you don't do that, you're not acknowledging, like, its full potential. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is herbs, right? Herbs, herbs and plants have always been part of making honey wine. And that the idea of... Uh, you know, an all honey mead is like a very, very kind of weird thing if you start looking at the historical record. And actually, it's quite hard to do it. And one of the reasons is it's not acidic enough, it's not tannic enough, and it tastes like garbage. So um, if you want it to be preserved, you're going to need to find those acids and tannins uh, to balance out the honey. So uh, for the most part, you know, if you look at the way people made mead, they used herbs, they used uh, foraged fruits from around their uh, environment. So they were herbalists, they were foragers, um, and they had this really kind of interesting, broad skill set. So one of the things I wanted to do it, uh, at uh, Honey's was sort of say, hey, look, like we want to talk about all the things that touches on mead. We want to kind of educate people that there's this whole range of things. So uh, I started this uh, program called Sunday School. Sunday School is obviously like on Sunday. And uh, we have a schedule for it. Uh, if you go to enlightenmentwines.com, there's like a link. All the stuff's on Eventbrite. Um, I don't teach all the classes. In fact, I teach very few of them. But uh, we've got, um, you know, two really great instructors, uh, Cheryl, who you know. Cheryl, Cheryl, Passwater. Cheryl Passwater. Yeah, she's amazing. And uh, Don Peter, uh, she's a good herbalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we've got, you know, we do like two or three classes a month. They're all different things. Uh, but you know, we've got... Um, Lacto-fermented drinks, which the kvass would be included in that kind of drink. Um, that's happening on Sunday, March 26th. So this coming Sunday? Yeah, this coming Sunday. Uh, then Don's going to do a class on bitters um, from an herbalist p- point of view. I'm doing an advanced mead-making class. Then there's a koji, mothers and grain culture. So this is another like kind of miso class that Cheryl will do. Then I'll be doing a dandelion foraging trip. And then I'll, and Don will teach like the uses of dandelions and herbs, um, tinctures and things like that. Oh, cool. You know, so, you know, and we'll, we'll, we keep adding to it all the time. Um, we might get one of the, you know, like, I'm trying to get that guy actually who wrote the, the paper on the Mayan mead to, like, oh. come and give a talk. Yeah. And, if, you know, it might be $5, it might be free. You just come and half an hour and you get a beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very low-key. Um, we try to keep the classes really affordable. Um, they happen in the winery. And uh, uh, the best way to hear about them is, the again, it's just to go to our website, Enlightenment Wines, and there's a little box there. You can put your mail, your address, email in there, and then, like, once or twice a month, we'll tell you when the classes are, if we're mm-hmm. doing 
you know, we'll do, we do performances in the winery sometimes. We've had some pop-up dinners. We did a fundraiser on Valentine's Day. We, you know, we, we were almost there. It was really beautiful. It was really nice. Um, it's, just, it's just been a great chance to collaborate with really nice chefs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, tell us what else is going on in in the winery. You have different lab procedures than than maybe you had before, or have, have what, well, what has been going on with your you know, concern for consistency and and what's going on in there? Uh, you know, I'm just I am sort of just you know I'm constantly trying to learn, and I never liked chemistry, and so I've done everything I could without learning chemistry. <laughs> yeah. and, and now, yeah, and now I have to learn chemistry yeah. because um, I'm I'm making vinegars, and I need to track, uh, you know. One of the things about, um, again, like if you're used to making beer, that's really different with um, when you get into lactic cultures and fungus in general. It's They don't like to sit around. You know, like the nice thing about wine is you make it, it's finished, and then it sort of sits around, and you don't have to, like, do anything really. You know, you mm-hmm. just leave it there. If you're making vinegar or are you trying to grow a culture out and you want to, like, grow out the culture, it needs to be constantly growing or else it kind of freaks out. I mean, the, the really psychedelic thing about microorganisms is they know what's going on. They know how many of them are in the solution. They know how much nutrients are in there. Like they communicate with each other. So uh, you have to kind of work with that. And and now that I'm working with vinegars and uh, the kvass and stuff, I need to be able to track like how far things go. And a hydrometer is a really great thing for wine and beer making, but it's not really useful for acid making. So right. that means you got to get a pH meter, which means you now have to spend the rest of your life calibrating a pH meter. <laughs> and then, you know, yes. <laughs> and then you have to know what the difference between acid and pH is, which I, I still would really rather shoot myself in the head sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then uh, also you can't drink your lab reagents, which I did this afternoon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Titratable acidity versus... versus Yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, molar mass. I mean, really, this was a thought I was having um, when I. So there's two thoughts you should have when you do lab work. One of which is that never do lab work work in drinking glasses because you don't want to ever accidentally drink some sodium hydroxide or anything like that. That's really important. It's one of the reasons that you should get test tubes, right? Right. So you don't label everything. Yeah, label. (laughs) Don't even label them. Yes, label them. Yes, of course. But I just mean. I mean, in the glasses, in the in the like test stuff. (laughs) So anyway, I ordered. So I've been using these little these little glasses and I, but they're like weird shapes I don't I don't mix them up but I ordered some test tubes but they're the wrong size because I'm not a chemist and they're like these little mini ones I got on eBay they're the wrong <laughs> size so they didn't work anyway so for the first so for the first time I did something I never did before which is that um, when you titrate I mean, titration is kind of cool it's like you take your sample of something and you put like an indicator solution in it which is like basically a dye and the dye changes color depending on the pH and then you drip the other thing into it until the neutralizes out and it changes color and you write that down um and then you're supposed to throw that down the drain and i was like i had to move my little workstation so i was just throwing it in like a you know like the kind of equivalent of like a spit bucket right right which is like you know i'll I'll put the waste ones in there and then one of the things i was thinking about while i was working was like you know i can't get too caught up in these measurements because they're you can get kind of obsessed by them and at the end of the day you your totally. tongue is really right. the most sensitive thing. You yeah. really need to... It's like my tongue is way more sensitive and accurate than these. It's just it's like hard to write down a number for it. Right. So anyway, I'm learning, right? And then at the end of all of this, I, you know, so you put the sodium hydroxide in, you put the... Well, I can't even pronounce that word. Phenolphthalein. Phenolphthalein, which comes in a little bottle and it says, don't drink this. And then I, I was putting that all away. And, you, and I was thinking like, 
have to figure out a procedure because I need to taste these and then test them. And I need to write down both my notes, right? right. And I kind of figured out a way to do that. You know, so I have my sample thing and I, I taste it and then I take pull a sample from that to test, right? But when I was cleaning up, there was this like jar of like, you know, glass and half of meat in it. And I just instinctively just like drank it. <laughs> And I was just like, immediately, I was like, it didn't taste that bad. But I was like, oh, that's all that stuff I was testing. And all the reagents. And then I had to come to your show. Ah, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry <laughs> you're feeling ill. But thank you for coming to our show. I feel fine. I am just okay, don't good. really know what phenolphthalein is. And, and um, I just drank like 10 drops of it or yeah. 30 drops of it. Or oh, something. that's interesting to look you it up. So you haven't felt any f- effects yet, necessarily. You have to look up the spec sheet. Yeah. Which has a special name that I can't remember right now. Well, it hasn't hit you, but a common thing is just <laughs> an upset, upset stomach uh, bowel. Oh, okay. Bowel yeah, that's fine. So I got that so, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's nothing a little Kavos can't cure. It might start flowing. If you go to Urban Dictionary, it'll tell you all about uh, some it's people be use the... it as a laxative, apparently. Oh, is no what problem. I'm saying. So, oh, okay, yeah. good, good. Okay, well, that, when's but, the show over I don't think you're going to die. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I thought it was like a carcinogen <laughs> or something. I was freaked out. Well, you can't. UrbanDictionary.com is horrible. No, I know, but for this, we're not on that road. No, According to the internet. <laughs> the random internet. According to fake news.com. Yeah, exactly. God. Fake fake medical exactly. advice. I just it was the top it was the top one on the list and I just yeah, I okay. went to find it out quick. Thanks. Yeah. So if people were go to Honey's right now, what what would they drink that was on? Uh, well we're closed on Monday, so they wouldn't drink anything. Right. But uh, <laughs> So what days are you open? Let's start. Every, every day but Monday. Okay. We're open after five. Uh, and um, you know, it's there's all kinds of stuff there. I mean, the mead, uh, I'm about to... We had a few big parties, and we just blew... They drank everything in the bar. They drank all the mead. They drank all the beer. It was crazy. So do you guys do private parties, or...? Um, we had an... Yeah, like it wasn't a private party, but, yeah, we just, you know, we do a lot of after parties for art galleries, cool. and, um, you know, there's a lot of art world stuff there, so... But we had a big, you know, party there. And uh, so I have to go upstate and get more apple mead, so that's one thing that we'll have, which is barrel-fermented apple mead made with wild yeast, um, and this has cider apples. So this would be a kind of a sizer. Uh, if, you, if you're into that, that's good. Uh, we have one more keg of the knot. The knot has been we burned through three barrels of that in three months and um, that won't be back on for another few months, so get it while you can. And then uh, we've got a sparkling mead. We're basically getting ready for the spring launch, and the spring launch will have our dandelion wine. We're going to have a, a single varietal locust honey sparkling mead. Uh, so that's a Petnat style. It's a bottle condition. There's no um, no carbonation. And we will have the Floralia. We'll have a limited edition. We'll, we'll do uh, about um, 50 cases of that. That'll be a limited edition. That'll go in like a month or two. That's a juniper, lavender, and marjoram-infused uh, like a dry mead. These are all dry meads. I should mention that. I mean, if you're thinking mead is sweet... Uh, you're wrong. You're wrong. I mean, <laughs> right. or at least for us, yes, right. you know, we don't we don't filter, we don't sulfur, so uh, our meads have to be really dry for them to be preserved, um, and that's what you get. Very dry meads, so you get to really smell the honey. You get you don't have that kind of cloying sugar effect. And uh, the ABVs, we try to keep them around twelve and a half percent, sort of like a white wine or mm-hmm. something like a table wine strength. Yeah. And then, if people want to find more about you, enlightenmentwines.com. Yeah, enlightenment. E N L I G H T, and you can uh, can we post some? Can we post these things somehow? Yeah, we can put yeah. this on, on. We'll put it on uh, on the episode, right? Jam. And then, uh, yeah, like and I we'll said, if you want to meet sure. me, I'll be at this uh, Burp Castle on Tuesday, 
Seven. For our, for you'll our, be there. Yeah, I'll be there. Okay. We, uh, after after another meeting, I have uh, for the New York City Brewers Guild, not okay. the Home Brewers Guild. We have this okay. at our, our monthly meeting. But so we usually have our mead also, meeting I in wanna, May. I want to have. But uh, now we've decided we're going to have a mead meeting for every month that starts with M. Oh, thanks to and you're the you're the start okay, of that for Mazer. Yeah, Mazer ma- ma- mead meeting. Yeah, I I would like to have more. I would like to invite the fermenting and homebrew community to come in and do more stuff at Honey's. Yeah. You know, we try and, you know, make our space, like, be a host for people who want to do meetups and meetings yeah. and stuff. So if anybody wants to do that, they should reach out to me and, um, you know, we can talk. We can send that out on our um, homebrewer umbrella list. Yeah, and also yeah. for all the people, all those losers out there who didn't buy my uh, temperature-controlled refrigerator, <laughs> uh, I decided to keep it and updated it, and now... It's really sick. It's got a red light in it, and um, I'm doing all my starter cultures in there. Okay. So you missed oh. out. So you, you missed okay. out. <laughs> so working out anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I converted it so it's a horizontal. That's a real. That's a cool thing. That I should was do cool. a class about that, that sometime because yeah. it's uh, it lets you fit way more stuff in it. The compressor oh, yeah, doesn't isn't affected you have to ro- by you have to rotate the compressor. Ah, that was, that was my cur- when you yeah. said you did that. That was my I was curious. About yeah, that. yeah. But very cool. Yeah, um, dude. Thank you for thank you for this. Thank you. Uh, what else should I say? Nothing. Thank you. Uh, You're also on Instagram. I'm Instagram at Enlightenment Wines, and if you want to follow the bar, it's Honey's Brooklyn. So, do you still do a CSA? Or uh, we occasionally, quite, or I would like to. I just quite haven't quite figured it out because you can come to the bar and buy bottles to go. Okay. Right. So we have a little store for our stuff. So it doesn't quite make sense to do a CSA in the same way unless we're shipping it. Right. Um, and also the, the economics have changed a lot because what's happened is we basically make a release and we try and keep it really affordable mm-hmm. until we're about like three quarters or four fifths out of it. And then we kind of put it on a reserve list and the price goes up and it's sort of rare because, you know, it's, it's nice. seasonal and we only make sometimes we only make a barrel of something. So yeah. we want to have like uh, we had to raise the roof, which was a lactic uh, fermented sort of infected mead that was just incredible. It was sparkling and. You know, we want to have like a few bottles around if people want it. So, yeah. the I think that what we have now is that people who follow us on the email list, they get they'll know when the new wines come out, and they they get the chance to buy them cheaper. Yeah, cool, makes sense. Yeah, right thank on. you. Awesome, thanks well, for being on. Yeah, and cheers to all your investors. They've they've chosen wisely, dude. Uh, oh. I love what you're doing. And, yes, and, uh, and keep, maybe keep maybe this it. summer we'll have a roof deck open. Oh, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Cool. I didn't talk to you about the the herbarium we're doing on the roof. What? Yeah, we have like a f- to grow all these weird herbs that yeah. uh, you know you can't get commercially for the use in the mead. We're doing all the trial runs on the roof, so we have a, yeah. a green roof uh, construction that we're building that'll be about uh, 600, 700 square feet, and then a roof deck next to it for people to hang out. That's great. And awesome. then you walk up, you walk through Honey's up the stairs through the winery to get to the deck. So it's, oh, you get awesome. to see all the workings. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to have a we'll have to come and visit you and do a brief on-site yeah. update once that's open. So. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, good luck in. with Actually, that. Actually, why don't you come beforehand and help us hammer all the wood in? Yes. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> I Especially, paint white fences. That's my, that's my jam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, dude, thank you again. Uh, uh, Enlightenment Wines. Great. Path to Enlightenment. Cool. Fun about, <laughs> about, about it. Fun about it. Fun about it. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.